Hi, everybody. I'm Michael Carice, welcoming you to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, an ongoing exploration about how to improve health and health care. Patient education is, of course, an important part of Osmosis's mission, which is why we're happy about having the opportunity today to learn about a relatively new company called Sanctuary Health that's helping healthcare providers tackle the issue. And it's a big problem. It's estimated that patients forget half of what their doctor tells them in appointments. And on top of that, health literacy rates are persistently low in the U.S. and globally. Sanctuary's co-founders, Jack Needham and James Naylor, are with us to describe its solution, which involves licensing ready-to-use education content to health platforms, payers, hospitals, and employers. We'll also be delving into how advances in AI technology are allowing a lot of customization of this material based on the patient's language, literacy level, and other factors. And thank you both for being with us today. It's a pleasure to have you. Thank you, Michael. Great to be here. Thanks for having us. So, Jack, I'd like to start with you. We'd love to learn more about your background and what first got you interested in going down the entrepreneurial path. Well, so J- James and I, to start very early, have known each other since we were about seven years old. So we went to the same primary school together and then went to the same high school together and then decided not to hold each other's hands for university. And we went to di- different universities, but that didn't last very long. And, and we both dropped out. But before we got to that stage, my passion for healthcare came from actually like wanting to be a doctor. So I broke my arm when I was 12, twice in one year and had three operations on it. And I f- like f- became fascinated with orthopedics and orthopedic surgery, did a bunch of work experience here in the UK when I was 16 and worked this I won't tell you the surgeon's name, but he snuck me into surgery, which I wasn't allowed to do. And I loved seeing orthopedic surgery. It was like more like a kind of design and technology lesson, like with woodwork than it was with with surgery with people hammering nails and rods and saws everywhere. It was incredible. But I, I didn't really want to work for the NHS here in the UK. And so around 16, 17, James and I were doing this work experience and I went and tried more corporate work experience and really, really didn't enjoy that. And so we kind of, we were at the same boarding school and we came together and started exploring new entrepreneurial ideas. And we kind of riffed on a bunch of different things from like what was basically Uber. And we came back and told my dad after a day of ideating about Uber that we had built this like new taxi idea. And my dad was like, yeah, yeah, it's a massive company. Nice try guys go again. So spent a bunch of time and I'll let James tell his part of the story, but then at, you know, like start of university, not really enjoying our degrees. And we then decided very, very early days that of university within about six months that this wasn't for us. And so we dropped out and started then working on an idea. Um, and we iterated into the healthcare space. It felt like a very, very logical place to be for me, having such a passion for it in my early years. And then I'll let James tell tell his part of it, but him too. Yeah, James, go right ahead. Sure. So I guess two questions as part of that, and uh, I can answer like why an entrepreneur, and then I'm happy to go into into why this idea, of, if that makes sense as well. Sure. Um, afterwards, but I think you know a lot of Jack and my story does overlap in terms of why we went into this, and I I would not be I would not be the co-founder of Sanctuary Health if I didn't know Jack and we definitely spurred each other on but it really does for me go back to that work experience that Jack and I did we're kind of forced to do it as part of our, our school school curriculum and came out to to London and worked in some large out-of-home advertising companies so they did all the like tube stations here or subway stations as you call them in, in America and kind of bus uh, bus stations and as a, as a 16 year old as I think they get a lot of 16 year old interns to do I was running around the office making cups of coffee and, and cups of tea and doing data entry. <laughs> right. And I think as a slightly naive teenager, I met up with Jack uh, one evening and thought, is this what 
corporate life is going to be like. I'm going to, you know, spend the next however long, five years of my life working and then or studying and then go and make cups of tea. And obviously it's a very naive viewpoint, but that really, that actually made, made us think that like, maybe there's something else here. And we're both very lucky. You know, the reason why we went to Jack's dad about, about the idea is he's an entrepreneur and my dad is also an entrepreneur. Ah. So I think, yeah, growing up in entrepreneurial households, you know, my dad's a non-entrepreneur in tech, but I think it still shows that that's a, a career path that is available to you. And I'd seen he had a, a lot more flexibility than I did running around making cups of tea. So I think that that spurred us on there. And then, as Jack says, we were kind of, you know, mucking about, thinking about ideas. And we started actually in, in, in the wellness space, creating content for wellness platforms during, during COVID. And then I went through my own healthcare journey getting diagnosed with with a condition being given you know it was it's not a severe it wasn't a severe diagnosis but it was pretty scary i was 20 22 at the time was told i had high blood pressure and had no idea what what that meant left the doc's office remembered absolutely nothing from the appointment from a 20 minute appointment and felt very much on my own and we can get into the story more but you know jack and i had experience developing very high quality content and in this instance, the onus was really on me to to find information about my health. It was complex. It wasn't engaging. I find it found it hard to understand this information. And you know, part of that really pushed us on to go beyond wellness into into chronic conditions and, and healthcare. Well, and it can be contradictory and confusing. For, I mean, people get on Google with whatever their symptom is, and predictably, you're going to run into the word cancer. Doesn't matter what it is. <laughs> A sore elbow or, you know, my ear itches or something. So it's it, it, it does get kind of overwhelming and worrisome for folks. And I should note, by the way, that the founders of Osmosis were both mates together in medical school and dropped out after the second year to start Osmosis. So this is you guys are right up our alley here. So, Jack, why don't you pick up the story? So patient education is an area of interest. And how did it evolve into the approach that you're taking? Yeah. So, well, as James said, we were, we were in, we were in, we were making wellness content. James went through this diagnosis experience that was really like, you know, and, and James went through private healthcare in the UK, which if, if you know anything about the UK healthcare system, private healthcare is meant to be this kind of 10 star experience. If you have health insurance, you go privately and you're, you're meant to get a different level of service than, than what's delivered on the NHS supposedly. But it wasn't like, you know, James may have had a bit more time with his doctor, but actually he was given the same bad education materials post and had to find his way through this diagnosis. And so it was about this time last year, actually, that, or, or maybe the summer of, of 22, that we came together and we we thought that upon diagnosis, there's that huge asymmetry of information between the physician and the, and the patient. And as you begin to manage whatever chronic condition you've been diagnosed with, you go through this like learning journey and to, to a point where hopefully you're confident to whatever extent you can be to, to manage your condition. And we just thought that there was a better way of taking a patient's hand and getting to them that getting them to that confident place than was what then what was currently provided and the reason we believe that is because we looked at the consumer world and it was being done everywhere whether you're looking at you know youtube and tiktok as just um, video consumption platforms they have an incredible ability the creators on those platforms to make really engaging content or if you're looking at companies that make content themselves whether that's like masterclass in, in modern day learning to Duolingo and language learning, these companies have pioneered ways of gamifying learning and delivering incredibly engaging video experiences that the healthcare world had 
like ignored up until today. And as most of us know, this right, you guys are, are making incredibly well-produced animated content. And so our idea was, why don't we take some of these methods that have been pioneered in, in analogous spaces and apply them to healthcare in a way that's relatively novel. And so we set about essentially producing the biggest video library of healthcare content and patient education. And we developed a like content and learning strategy that I can speak more about. And we've spent the last 12 months up and we filmed for the first time last September. And we've been building a library of video content to help patients understand their conditions ever since. Wow. So you guys are moving quickly here. And James, what kinds of videos are we talking about? What's the format? Yeah, so just for a bit of context, I really run the, the product side of things and, and Jack manages the the content side of things. So maybe I'll riff for a bit and then let, let Jack take over on the content side, but really predominantly short form short form content. I think that a lot of the information that you you find online is long form written content. And you know, studies have consistently shown that long form written content is less engaging than audio and, and more specifically video content. And if we're thinking about how we can maximize impact with a patient. And really that's about ensuring that their information recall on that, that information is, is the highest it can be. That naturally led us to, to video content. And then we ran a number of studies just internally putting our content out to patients. And again, what we consistently found was short form video content had the highest engagement levels. And we've got a one-to-one -one value exchange. And what that really means is that in every video, there's one core piece of information that's being communicated during that video. So for example, if you're diagnosed, let's say with hypertension, we're not doing a whole 40 minute video on what hypertension is. We're breaking that down into really digestible, engaging, understandable videos that tackle one aspect of hypertension. So maybe initially like, what is the DASH diet? And that is, that one video is about communicating that piece of information, how to take your blood pressure, for example. And again, studies have consistently shown that if you break a video down into these, into these smaller topics with one knowledge transfer or one learning outcome, then information recall and, and confidence levels around that information are consistently higher. So that's really the approach that, that we've taken with, with our content. And you have physicians delivering the content, right? Is that right, Jack? Yeah, I, I think when we sat down and tried to under, understand what, how we should go about making this content. I think people trust information coming from providers. You know, there's an inherent trust between you and your doctor. And we wanted to try and simulate that as best as possible. And so we did that by sitting down subject matter experts, whether it's on diabetes or hypertension and getting them to communicate these like relatively complex subjects in hopefully quite simple ways. And so we really prioritize working with doctors and, and helping communicate these subjects to patients. So just on the mechanics of this, and James, let me direct this to you. How are you folks connecting with, you know, potential customers, providers, and others? And what's the pitch to them about how this can benefit them and benefit the end user and how they can integrate it into their business? So, you know, when we look at content, there are, there are two aspects that are really important. It's right content, right time. When a patient is diagnosed with a condition or told that they need to go ahead with a medical procedure, that is the point in time typically when they've got the highest levels of anxiety and probably are most likely to, to default to action and actually be incentivized to understand what, what is going on. And the longer you leave that gap, I think the less engaged that that individual will be and, and maybe the more they lose hope as well in 
in actually taking action to, to understand their condition. So we've got the content and then the mechanisms by which we do this. We really started actually our, our wedge, as it's quite often known in the startup world, where we really started was in the, the digital health space. So this was virtual care providers. And there was a lot of money that went into this during COVID and even towards the tail end of, of, uh, of COVID. And a lot of patients were receiving their care through video consultations, et cetera. And we made it as easy as possible for these digital platforms to integrate content experiences into that platform. So without getting too technical, we used a, an API, essentially a data feed to feed our big database of content into their digital platforms and also gave them a lot of flexibility to develop content experiences that, that worked for their patients. And we've seen our clients develop really incredible ways of, of delivering content to their patients, anything from interactive quizzes, for example, or maybe after you do a PHQ-9, um, if uh, it's slightly less severe, you can be given content to understand anxiety, mindfulness content, for example. We've seen clients develop portals for their coaches or providers to actually, after seeing a pace, patient, share content with that individual that's that's tailored to them and, and handpicked by the provider. So for us, really, I think flexibility is, is key. As we go forward and, and try and move more up market, which is part of our wider strategy, um, then I think it's about integrating into electronic health records um, or into the EMRs and actually understanding a patient. So for example, if a patient comes in and is told that they need to have, let's say, a colonoscopy, there is information at the moment that is relatively standard for, for all patients that is really helpful to understand. And a patient who come in prepared, comes in prepared for a colonoscopy has a better outcome typically, and the procedure takes less time. So that's great for the, the patient, and it's great for the provider as well. That can be automated. So automated through patient engagement softwares, for example, and integrating into those and you know telling a patient, take your go lightly solution, stop taking X medication, for example. And we think that if we can reach the patient at the right time with the right content, you're consistently going to see a more engaged population, better outcomes versus traditional methods of giving pamphlets that typically end up in the bin. Or, you know, as you said, as great as, great as, it, is, as it is, providers sharing information, 50% of it is forgotten by the time they leave the door. So just trying to innovate on that. Well, a lot of the content is just written at a literacy level that's far beyond where most people are at. I, I plead guilty on this. I worked at an academic medical center in communications, and we were trying to achieve that goal of you know, matching the literacy rate of most readers, and it's a difficult thing to do. We would run it through the software and see where we were coming out, and it turned out that we were writing at a much more advanced level than we were intending. Just to hop on that, you know, I remember when we were we did a little test where we were running medical information through readability calculators. And, you know, we found content out there that's from very reputable, including government sources, that is written at college level reading levels, which is yeah, pretty amazing. And, you know, we talk about right content, right time. Right content doesn't just mean making it engaging, but as you said, literacy levels, language, I think it's 27% of the US first language isn't actually English. And if you're communicating a condition with someone who, whose grasp of the English language isn't fantastic, then you can make that experience tangibly better by translating the content, dubbing the content. And that's also something that we spend a lot of time doing at Sanctuary Health as well. Yes, that's a perfect segue because I was just going to ask about that. I saw a video with one of your providers on camera 
and they were speaking a language, appeared to be speaking a language that was not their native language. <laughs> and if, for folks who have not seen this happen yet, the technology is quite amazing. In fact, I tried it myself, sent in a 30-second clip of myself saying nothing particularly important and asked them to translate it into Italian and sent it to my brothers and sisters. And they're like, when did you learn to speak Italian? You know, I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's incredibly, you know, they they clone the voice and they manipulate the lips. So it makes it looks like I'm speaking that language instead. So you're tapping into some of this, as I understand. Jack, tell us how that's working. Yeah, I might take a step back for a second and just describe the problem that it's fixing. So like, I think, you know, I've, I've been writing an essay recently on like, who invented the first like video camera and i was trying to think about like what they would have thought of the the ai powered kind of translation of video content today and I, I think for like since the video camera has been invented or even the printing press you've had this problem with content which i've kind of called the personalization paradox which is content has been a one-to-many industry in the sense that it is too costly to develop multiple pieces of content for the same person despite because that part, these people consume content in different ways. You know, if you take me and you, Michael, you know, you have a history in healthcare, you're probably, as you said, you worked in academia. If we get diagnosed with the same condition, you're fundamentally going to want more information than me. And you might consume that in a different format, but it's too costly to the healthcare world. You know, your, your costs just increase linearly with every piece of content you, you make. And so it was too costly to make a piece of content for everyone. And, 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 and so you had this one-to-many many content model where you just produced one that was as broad brush as possible to make all of the Venn diagrams overlap. And I think now where we're going to with AI, whether it's applied to translation or video creation or script writing and written content is we are now able to personalize content in a way that was just never possible before that we could be diagnosed with the same condition theoretically and at very minimal cost, you could get a completely different piece of content to me and it explains the condition in a way that you understand in a way that I understand. And so that's how we're trying to use this in healthcare. And the first place I think it's really exciting is within languages. Typically, translation has just been a super complex problem to solve for. We've been doing it recently. We've been trying to translate content into Arabic. There are di different dialects all over the world. There are different, you know, it's written in a very different way to the way it's spoken. And so we can now take content with AI and get it to a starting place where we can empower a human translator to do something in a much more powerful way. And that's how we're really applying it to, to, the, to the language world. We're getting scripts translated, we're getting videos dubbed, all getting a kind of version one of these pieces of content done and then bringing the human side of it into into play where they can review this content, make sure it's clinically accurate, make sure the language is accurate and make any edits. But as James said, that means that there are populations of the United States and everywhere else in the world that we can unlock access to for, we, we can give them access to health information in a way that they just pre previously would have never understood it. And I think that's a really, really powerful application of some of these technologies. Yeah, no, it's absolutely revolutionary in a way. In the case of osmosis, they have thousands of these videos that you folks have referred to made in English first, and they've translated it laboriously into a couple of other languages. And now with these AI technologies, you know, that's just opened up an entirely different range of possibility in terms of translation. And so for this, our company, you know, the potential to reach literally hundreds of millions more people using an AI technology at relatively low cost is just incredible. So 
really interesting times that we're in for those who are engaged in education. So your relatively new business, how is it going? Where do you see it going? What what kind of experience are you having? Yeah, I mean, it's it's really fantastic. I think, you know, to speak more generally about working in healthcare, the thing that is really fantastic about this industry, and, you know, although Jack and I have not had long employment careers, even compared to, to the wellness industry and healthcare, people really care about solving the problem of the patient. And the level of support that you see from other founders, other employees at these other companies has, has been really fantastic. As two young British entrepreneurs, um, you know, we wouldn't have been able to get to where we are without without that level of, of support and help. And I think that's really fantastic. And, and therefore, I really love being in this industry and actually being able to build a product where you can, can see an impact. For us, as I alluded to earlier, we really saw our initial success in the digital health space. These virtual care companies wanted to integrate content and we made it very simple for them to, to do that. We're now at a very interesting point at time, I feel, where we're at an inflection point where the way in which content is created and distributed is going to change pretty radically. And, you know, Jack, Jack has obviously just alluded to this, but the cost of content creation is going to trend towards zero. I really do believe that over the next decade or so. And for us, there are really two areas that, that we want to focus on. Firstly, moving more up market, although digital health has been a fantastic place to start and we've got a lot of great clients there, really it does only represent a small microcosm of where patients sit. So our big push at the moment is building strategic relationships with companies that can help us reach health systems, payers, for example, and reach that broader market. And then on the product side, it's really about the, the personalization piece. We've got a purpose-built team of engineers who are really at the forefront of how AI can be used in, in content creation. I manage the product team and a lot of what the product team is, the engineering team, for example, are building right now are tools to deliver more, more personalized care. And I'm really excited about what that can, can look like, you know, as, as you mentioned earlier, whether that's feeding in anything from language, literacy levels, social determinants of health, for example. Um, I don't just think this is a nice to have, but it's, it's actually really important. And, you know, if you're happy to entertain me, I can, I can tell just a very brief story that, sure. that really annoyed me, <laughs> but my grandma, my grandma three weeks ago had uh, a mini stroke and she's fine now. Last year, she was told that she was pre-diabetic. So she goes to her healthcare provider and she is kind of in her early 80s. She's very, she's a small woman anyway. And she asked, you know, what can I do to, to prevent this? And they said to her, well, you know, typically just don't, don't eat as much and cut out fats and sugars. It's like, she's a very small, frail lady. She went home and just basically cut out a lot of food from her diet and just became even smaller and, and even more frail. You know, she was told to exercise more. She played tennis and golf anyway, and she then injured her, injured her shoulder playing golf. And, you know, it's just the, although the intention of that nurse was, I'm sure, fully intended to, to help my grandmother, it just wasn't helpful. And I think what you can do now is actually feed in more data points. You know, this, this nurse probably had 15 minutes, if that, with, with my grandmother. If you can feed in more data points, really understand the patient and then provide really specific education 
in the right way that's empathetic I think you can really move the needle. Look, I'm not not going to say that that would prevent my my grandmother from having uh, you know the mini stroke that she had, but but it could have done, right? The level of education that she got was not good enough then, and I think there's a real opportunity for us to to change that, and that's very exciting to me. Sorry, just to jump off the back of that, Michael. Like at, at the end of the day, like for for physicians and nurses, it's almost an unmanageable task. Like you know, there's 10 to the 27 atoms in your body. There's like 36 trillion cells. Nurses and physicians spend 20 years specializing to under, just like get a, you know, understanding of like one slither of how the body works. You specialize and you're then like left to communicate that in 10, 15 minutes, right? To someone that knows nothing about that, that subject. That, that is actually, you know, <laughs> like that is harder than rocket science in many ways. And so, you know, for that nurse that the that explained things to James's mom, she's been given a task that, that is set up to fail anyway. And so actually we should have this content and these learning experiences and this health information as the foundation for all learning experience and is experiences in healthcare because no one currently has the time with the supply sources of physicians and healthcare providers to to deliver the information that's needed anyway. Well, you're putting your finger on really one of the huge problems in healthcare and it's exciting and encouraging to see bright young minds tackling this issue. So we just have a couple of minutes left. We always like to wrap up with allowing our guests to provide some advice to our listeners. As I mentioned, you know, a lot of med students, early career health professionals. What's your go-to advice, even though you're both yourselves pretty early in your careers, but you've been a couple of years been able to establish your own path. So what are your words of wisdom? Yeah, I'm I'm not going to stand here and try and do too much lecturing to your wonderful audience. I'm I'm probably don't have too much wisdom to impart, but I think that one of the things that I'm kind of tentative to avoid is there's a lot of in in our industry and in technology and how it overlaps with healthcare, there's a lot of AI doomerism at the moment that rightfully in many cases we're thinking about complications that come can come with AI and we're preempting them in a way that can actually I think prevent the benefits from really taking taking root and so my my only like thoughts w with how that applies to healthcare would be i would encourage clinicians healthcare providers in the early stages of their career to really explore these technologies think about them from first principles and really understand how they can augment the way that they deliver care and, and scale that that care to many many more patients because i think the next 10 years of healthcare could look vastly different to the previous 10 years if we really throw away the fax machine and embrace embrace these technologies in well thought through ways. James, what would you add to that? No, I think that's a fantastic point. I think there are two small things and you know, I've only been on on the other side as as a patient. But I think on on the one hand, going into healthcare as a healthcare professional, there's a lot of really great entrepreneurial talent and you know, if you look at them as, as they're not two separate Venn diagrams, there's, there's a lot of overlap there. And some of the best innovations that we've had as a company have come directly from speaking with providers. You're the people who are at the, the forefront of this industry speaking to speaking to patients. And if you have got that entrepreneurial muscle, I'd really implore you to, to really try and get involved with the businesses trying to solve problems because they're going to do a better job because you're speaking to them. And I'd really implore you to do that. And then I think on on the other side, as I mentioned, I've only really been a patient, and I've spoken to a lot of a lot of patients building building the products. And you wouldn't believe the impact that well communicated information can have on an individual. I'm not saying this is the case across the board because it's definitely not. But I think for for some providers and healthcare professionals, it's a bit of an afterthought, and it really shouldn't be. Um, so 
you know, understanding how to communicate healthcare information, I think is, is a worthwhile investment to actually deliver better care. That would be my advice. That's well said. Well said. Well, listen, it's been a pleasure to meet you both and talk to you both today. I want to thank you for your time, Jack Needham and James Naylor, and we wish you the best of luck with Sanctuary Health. Thank you very much for having us. It's been really great to be here today. I'm Michael Carice. Thanks for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise the line and strengthen the healthcare system. We're all in this together. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast.